0: I'm a real supersonic, pass the ball like magic. Sean, Kimmel, Larry Bird, the old school Mavericks. I got basketball cards, gonna sing a little more. I got basketball cards, now enjoy the show. Welcome to My Basketball Cards, I'm your host Zaire. A big shout out to the lady who sings our theme song, Paris Alexa. You can check out her album Too Real, which is available on all streaming platforms. And yo, before we get into the show, check out this word from Anchor. What's up, everybody? Once again, another episode of My Basketball Cards. This episode is a continuation of the previous two episodes, uh, where we talked about Ron Harper getting traded from the Cavaliers to the L.A. Clippers, and the L.A. Clippers sending over Danny Ferry. Danny Ferry, uh, a all American, an all American, uh, small fort, power fort out of Duke. Instead of playing his rookie season in the NBA in uh, 1989 1990 season, which is the year that was supposed to be his rookie year, he decided to go to Italy to play basketball. And as a, uh, Young person growing up in Cleveland at the time, you know, I I, I discussed in the previous two episodes how shocking and how heavy uh, losing Ron Harper was to the Cleveland Cavaliers. He was a person who could do it on both ends of the court, was exciting, was about as close to a Michael Jordan as you can get Uh, in the early part of his career with his athleticism and his uh, ferociousness on both sides of the court, his creativity with the ball. Um, in losing Ron Harper, Cleveland had to wait a full season before they would be able to get the rights or to be able to even negotiate with Danny Ferry. They weren't able to get him right away because Danny Ferry, uh, he had another thing to do. He was busy playing basketball and on another continent. So we're going to get into that. And into what actually happened. Danny Ferry's first season of professional basketball, which was not in Cleveland. A few people really talk about that time. It was very interesting if you think about what was going on in the world as far as NBA and uh, basketball. Uh, Right now, the NBA is a very uh, international game. In 1989... Um, and basketball, I should say, is a very international game, but the NBA is very international league now. They have a lot of players who are playing uh, in, in diff- from different countries and all of that. In the late 80s, not so much. Uh, it was more of a domestic type of thing in the NBA. You didn't have a lot of uh, foreign players coming over to uh, do their thing. Uh, basketball in Europe was seen as less than at the time. And so... If an American player went to Europe, typically the American player dominated because they would be faster, more uh, physical, um, more athletic, uh, and just a bit ahead of the curve when it came to um, basketball knowledge because the game was more developed in North America, especially in the United States. So Danny Ferry, uh, when he was drafted by the Clippers... uh, that's when that that night, I believe, is when he found out that he had an offer from an Italian team. So we're going to get to that in a second. Let's talk about a little bit of Danny Ferry's history. Danny Ferry, his father actually was a third team All-American uh, when he played for St. Louis in college. Uh, Bob Ferry is his name. Bob Ferry averaged 22 points per game and 11.7 rebounds during the 1958-59 uh, college season, and he went on to play 10 seasons in the NBA for Detroit, St. Louis, and Baltimore. Denny Ferry's big brother actually uh, was a star shooting guard for Harvard, and he averaged 15.5 points per game there, uh, shot 55% from the field, and he was drafted by the Atlanta Hawks in 1985. So uh, Danny Ferry actually was two years old when his father played his final NBA game. But wow, so so you you can imagine he probably has no memories of his father as a player. But um, he grew up with his father being the general manager of the Washington Bullets, which is now the Washington Wizards uh, in the NBA. For those of you who may not be aware of that, <laughs> because it's been a while since they were the Bullets. But when they were the Bullets, um, Bob Ferry was the general manager of that team for 17 seasons. Uh, The success that that team had under Bob Ferry as the general manager, um, they won. Actually, he was a two-time executive of the year during the 78-79 season and the 81-82 season. Um, Keep this in mind, he was the GM from 1973 to 1990. Uh, The the Bullets were NBA champs in 1978, and they were uh, two-time NBA finalists in 1975 and in 1979. The 70s, in a way, is like a bygone era uh, that people really don't talk about when it comes to NBA history. Um, They talk about Dr. J, who played a lot of the 70s in the ABA. Um, You know, you hear a little bit about Iceman Gervin who also played in the ABA. Uh, But little is really talked about in the 70s NBA uh, for various reasons. The league kind of went on decline as far as popularity. And that's a whole podcast right there by itself. Um, But still, during the 70s, there were some solid teams and and legendary teams. And the Washington Bullets is kind of like one of the um, forgotten franchises that actually had Success and and were pretty dominant in the 1970s. Like I said, they went to three NBA finals and they won one. Um, During Bob Ferry's run as the general manager of the the Bullets, um, out of 17 seasons, the Bullets made the playoffs 13 times. Um, And when you compare that, it's been, what, um, 30 years since. Bob Ferry has been the GM of the Washington Bullets. And so we go back and we say in the 17 years that he was the GM from 73 to 1990, they made the playoffs 13 times. In the 30 years since Washington has made the playoffs only nine times and they have won zero championships and they have been to zero uh, conference finals and they haven't definitely won a conference final. So it's something to think about and the success that they had during Bob Ferry's run. And in all that success, Danny Ferry, a young Danny Ferry is around that as a kid. Um, You know, he grew up around uh, Hall of Famers like Elvin Hayes and Wes Unseld. A quote from Danny Ferry, uh, he said, during his uh, first year out of college when he was playing basketball um, in Italy, One thing that he said was, he said, I was raised around an NBA setting. I shot around with pros when I was a little kid and then played pickup games when I got older. One of my goals in life was to become a first round draft choice. People don't have or or people don't have to tell me how great the NBA is because it has been a part of my life. So he's a person who had um, an idea and a firsthand view. Of what it took to become an NBA player. Uh, He was around it his whole life. So Danny Ferry goes on to Duke. After a successful high school career at DeMatha High School. Which is a a powerhouse basketball program um, in Maryland. And at Duke. um, Danny Ferry goes to three Final Fours. And during his freshman year, they finished as a runner-up in the national championship game that they were upset in. They lost to Louisville, who, if you look at the uh, (laughs) cover of the the, the thumbnail of um, the podcast logo, there's a picture of Purvis Ellison's basketball card with the Washington Bullets. Um, Purvis Ellison was a freshman when Danny Ferry was a freshman. And Purvis Ellison led Louisville to the national championship earning the name Never Nervous Purvis. Um, so Danny Ferry was on the opposite side of that as a member of the Duke Blue Devils. Like I said, he went to three Final Fours in four years. He was a two-time All-American. Uh, I believe those were the first three Final Fours Duke had ever been to. Um, He was a two-time All-American. He was a National Player of the Year. He won the Naismith National Player of the Year Award, the USBWA National Player of the Year Award, and the UPI National Player of the Year Award. So you can call him a consensus pick. Um, He averaged 22.6 points per game his senior year at Duke. On 52% shooting, he shot 42% from three-point territory. Uh, probably his most famous game of his career at Duke was when he scored 58 points in a 117-102 win over the Miami Hurricanes. Uh, In his final game, he actually uh, scored 34 points and had 10 rebounds, and that was in the final four, and that was a loss against Seton Hall and his future teammate John Morton, um, who would play with him uh, with the Cavaliers. Danny Ferry also um, had 21 points in a uh, regional final win, Elite Eight is what we call it, during the NCAA tournament over Georgetown. And Georgetown was a big-time powerhouse as well during the 80s and 90s when it came to college basketball. On that Georgetown team that Danny Ferry and Duke defeated uh, was a freshman by the name of Alonzo Morty, Hall of Famer, and another Hall of Famer by the name of Dikembe Mutombo, Um, And so they were both in their first uh, years at Georgetown. Um, Danny Ferry was the first ever ACC player to score 2000 points, grab 700 rebounds and have um, 500 assists over his career. And he was a two time ACC player of the year. So, Danny Ferry was about as decorated as anybody who was entering the 1989 draft. So, um, as I said, he was presented the opportunity to play in Italy on draft day. Um, he, if, there was a team by the name of Il Massagaro. Um, once again, f- please forgive me if I'm not saying that right. Um, but basically they had interest in bringing over an American ball player. Um, the word is, is that, um, they wanted to sign Hakeem, not Hakeem, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who was, I think just, I think he finished his last, his last game was in the 89, the 88, 89 season, I believe. Um, so he may have just retired or was about to start his final year in the NBA, but they wanted to sign him. He declined. So they decided to go after young talent and Danny Ferry was a per- was a person that they had their eye on. He was their number one guy. Um, so after they signed Danny Ferry, um, they also wanted to get someone that could, uh, another American player that could pass him the ball and set him up on offense. And that player was Brian Shaw. Brian Shaw was a rookie the season before, which was 88, 89. And he was a rookie with the Celtics. And he played one year with them before he had a bit of a contract dispute. He, uh, I think he was paid like a 100 grand his first year. And so um, he wanted to, to get a raise because he'd had a solid rookie season. He started a bit. He was a, a bit of a tall point guard around like 6'6 six, six or so, 6'5. And so he was he was a different kind of guard that could do different things. Different kind of point guard that could do different things. So uh, the Celtics actually offered him $250,000, but Il Maseguero offered him $1 million. $1 million, so... You know what happened? (laughs) Brian Shaw packed his bags and went to Italy. Um, So. These guys, um, you know, they they head to Italy. And let me say that right away, uh, Daddy Ferry and Brian Shaw actually found out that even though they were getting paid all this money and they were um, being treated well by the team, they found out that the media could be rough on some pros and the media. I'm not talking about the New York media or, you know, Philadelphia media or anything like that. Los Angeles media. We're talking about the media in Italy. OK, so. Um, their first three games, they were averaging over 25 points apiece, both of them, and there was a headline. Written in uh, one of the newspapers uh, saying that Ferry and Shaw, um, they, they say they bring interest, but not wins to the Italian squad. And then it says, um, when will the real Rome show up? Um, the team won. They actually won their first game, but they they lost about five in a row after that uh, their first home game. They lost by 15 points. Well, actually, let me repeat that or say that over their first home game. They had a 15 point lead. And um, what ended up happening is that the other team they were playing against was led by another um, American player by the name of Bob McAdoo, who at the time was 38 years old, um, pretty much done in his NBA career. Uh he was getting paid swell to go to Italy and be and be a performer and he was a big time scorer in the NBA. Bob McAdoo uh scored 29 points in his team's comeback win. Danny Ferry had 28 and uh two rebounds. And rebounding is a thing that a lot of people talk about with Danny Ferry as a weakness. So um so yeah. Um the media the media was really tough on these guys. Um, here's the, here's the catch. Uh, Il Massagero was owned by a newspaper of the same name. Okay. And so you're talking about a big newspaper in Rome, um, worth a lot of money, but also Rome didn't just have one newspaper. It had a couple of others. So whenever their team lost, uh, the other newspapers would rip that team apart, especially pointing the finger at the American players. Um, they constantly misquoted them. Uh, they were really hard on Brian Shaw especially uh, because Danny Fair was brought in to be the star. Brian Shaw once again was brought in to be uh, you know the second guy. Um, Brian Shaw noticed that he would talk to reporters and reporters wouldn't have a recorder. They wouldn't have a pen or paper. They had nothing to take down any of his quotes. And then they'd write a story and they'd say something that he didn't say at all. Um, when the team started out one in five, there were rumors that the team was ready to just get rid of and part ways with Brian Shaw. And the crazy thing is that at the time, Brian Shaw was actually averaging more points than Danny Ferry. And had better statistics. In fact, he would have better statistics throughout the whole season than Danny Ferry, but he got the blame whenever um, the team struggled. Um. So yeah, it's, it's 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 this story is interesting in my opinion because, or one reason why it's interesting is because it kind of shows you how the media can control the narratives to a season. How they can say you are a um, you are struggling when you may not be, and people can run with it and believe it. Now the players, on the other hand, that they were playing against, such as uh, former NBA All Star Michael Ray Richardson, who was a, a star player with the Knicks and the Nets, he was currently playing in Italy as well, and uh, he had sympathy and and kind of saw what why the team was struggling. Uh, In his opinion, he said they don't have a center and you can't win in this league without a center. It's putting extra pressure on Bryant and Danny, especially because they're making all that money. The fans think they're like Superman. That's not how it is. Um, So, yeah, that's just something to think about when you talk about how. um, Fans are looking like we got these American players, they're going to save us. And uh, then when you start out and you don't win your games right away, you know, it, it it can be confusing if you expected these American players to save you because you were told this, you were fed this by a basketball team and by the press. In January of 1990, Ohio news reporter uh, Terry Pluto, who Uh, was big for writing with the Akron Beacon Journal. Akron is a neighboring city to uh, Cleveland, Ohio, which is where Danny Ferry, um, you know, the Cavs had his rights. So uh, Akron was right there. And Terry Pluto was one of the biggest reporters who reported on the Cavaliers at the time. He took a trip all the way to Rome to see Danny Ferry. And uh, some of his remarks are Danny Ferry is a superb shooter, a shrewd passer, a remarkably polished team-oriented player, but he's no Larry Bird, no matter what the folks in Italy say about the $2 million investment made by his Il Messaggero Roma team. He also said just because the Cavs traded Ron Harper to the Clippers for him won't make Danny Ferry an athlete like Ron Harper. Just give the guy a break and don't expect greatness don't buy tickets to the NBA Finals because Danny Ferry puts on a Cavaliers uniform. So when you hear a reporter like Terry Pluto go over all the way to Rome and he comes back with this, it makes you nervous as a fan because as a fan, when you saw Ron Harper play defense as well as offense, you saw greatness. You saw... um Something that nobody else on the team could do as far as just athleticism, as far as being the closest thing to Michael Jordan that anyone had seen at that time, uh, as far as being uh, just exciting and uh, a, a superstar on the rise. You had that. And then this reporter comes back and says, Danny Ferry isn't great. So that probably is like a punch in the gut right there to Cavs fans. Uh, Pluto also reported on the lifestyle that Ferry was living while in Rome. He said that Danny Ferry lived in a five story piazza. He had a sauna, a rooftop terrace, two maids. Um, they cooked five course meals. They cleaned his house and washed his clothes. He said that um, he he was in a BMW uh, worth somewhere between $50,000 and $70,000. Everything was paid for. Uh, everything was bought and paid for uh for him by the team. The restaurants fed him for free because he was a celebrity. Um and also the team gave him 15 free airline tickets to anywhere on earth. Il Masagero Roma um they own they were owned by a person uh who is Ra Raul Gardini. Um he was said to be worth around $20 billion, or his businesses were. The team actually spent $75,000 on Danny Ferry before he signed, um, when they took him and his parents uh, to Venice, to Rome, to Monte Carlo, uh, just to impress him and his family so that they can encourage him to sign that contract. Uh, Guido, Baga- B- Guido Bugada, who was the assistant general manager of the team uh, that was trying to sign Danny Ferry, he made this remark, and this is a very, very important remark, so please listen closely. He said, we wanted to make a huge splash, get lots of worldwide publicity. Ferry was the college player of the year, the new Larry Bird, and one of the few great white players. There's no one in college like him this year. All right. So I said previously that uh, race had a big deal to do with this whole situation as far as the trade and as far as how. White players, white basketball players that have any bit of success are um kind of seen. They're often viewed as the next Larry Bird. When I said this before, you know, I mentioned names like Christian Leitner and Wally Zerbiak. Um just as a as a news reporter, once upon a time I was a sports reporter. I covered college and NBA basketball throughout my life. Um I remember being in college, there there was a player by the name of Greg Stimpen, and he was really, really good at the University of Toledo. And um, all I kept hearing fans say, and reporters, he's the next Larry Bird. He's like a Larry Bird. And I actually wrote, I was a, a reporter in college at, this, at the time, and I actually wrote like, no, he's no Larry Bird. And y'all need to take that off of him. And people actually took offense to it and said that I was... It was they called it reverse racism or something. But basically, my intention of it all was that, no, every time you guys see a talented white player, you should not put the Larry Bird tag on him. But that's what happens. Um, you know, people get hungry for something that they saw before. And so, like like I said before, you see the same thing with Michael Jordan. If someone is very, very talented, they call him the next Michael Jordan. Vince Carter was called that. LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, Harold Minor even, way, way back in the day. Um, But for white players, I think it just puts extra stress on them uh, that they don't need. And it's just, it's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> Danny Ferry, yeah, there's some things that could remind you of Larry Bird at times, but he, did, he didn't come from the same background Larry Bird came from. He didn't play the same way Larry Bird played. Um, they're two different guys. Very, two different guys. Um, Danny Ferry is a very polished person. Uh, well-rounded. Grew up in an a privileged, you know, with a privileged life. Danny uh, Larry Bird grew up in the backwoods of Indiana and didn't have privilege. Basketball saved him from poverty, where Danny Ferry probably wouldn't have been impoverished. He, he was very intelligent as a student. He probably, if he never played basketball, maybe he would have had a job in the NBA front office without playing basketball because his father was connected and he was around the game so much. They were two different guys. And they were two different players. They had two different bits of, like, like Larry Bird's hunger to be great in basketball was different than Danny Ferry's hunger. So the result wasn't the same as well. Um, but it's very, very... Um, another interesting quote is how the guy said that Ferry... Um, he said Ferry was a new Larry Bird and one of the few great white players. So the key is that they wanted to get a great white player in Italy. And him saying it there, you know, like that sounds bad if you say that here. We want a great white player. Like a team could feel that way, but they would never say it publicly. But in Italy, you can say it because it's not seen as, um, offensive because the population of people who are like African American or whatever, or, you know, even like other ethnicities, it's not like it is in the United States. And so you won't get the same uproar, um, to say, is is that a racist statement? I mean, you can say, yeah to say that you want a white player yeah like it shouldn't matter the ethnicity but at the same time if you if you're running a club and you understand like oh wow you know our audience responds more to an italian player versus a player from spain or our audience responds more to uh you know if if you're in Africa and you say, you know what, they respond better to the African as opposed to, you know, I can get it. But the key is that you should be able to, um, get the best player qualified. And then, um, you know, your audience needs to evolve to be able to accept, um, differences. And different kinds of people. It's not always easy. But that's just the way it should be. I mean Major League Baseball had to do it. (laughs) You know. Um, Saying all that. You know. Danny Ferry was brought in. Because he was a great white basketball player. And they paid him top dollar. Because he was seen as the next Larry Bird. And a great white basketball player. That's pretty much the gist. Because there were other players who were drafted that year. Um, Glenn Rice, I believe, had just won a national championship with Michigan. Um, Purvis Ellison went number one in the NBA draft. Um, and maybe if Danny Ferry wasn't in that draft, maybe those guys would have been getting those offers. Not sure. But I believe that when um, when uh, Guido Bagada or whoever was representing Il Massagero saw Danny Ferry, they said, hey, that's our guy right there because of how he looked and his ethnicity. So we go on um, to, excuse the page turning people, uh, we go on to talk about their, their, um, season. So you have Danny Ferry and Brian Shaw teammates um in January Brian Shaw actually um well let's let's do this. We talk about their start. They started out 1 and 0 and they lost 5 in a row. Then they improved to 7 and 7 um around January of 1990. Um both guys actually they made the All-Star team. And I think the All-Star game was played maybe in November or something. Um so their individual accomplishments were being respected. But um in January of 1990 Brian Shaw said about Ferry, he said Danny and I talk every day. Um but we talk very little about the trade to Cleveland because It's such a sensitive area. He said, the Cavs gave up a lot to get Danny and Ron Harper and the draft picks. If he signs with Cleveland, the pressure will be enormous. Now, Ferry, when he was asked about this, Ferry is just like, you know what? I've been under pressure my whole life. Um, He said, well, your father's a pro. And when you play where I've played, there are great expectations but that won't be there won't be any the expectations won't be any more than i place on myself they won't apply more pressure than than they place than he places on himself um he said because of his background he knows what it takes to become a good nba player and what it takes to stay one he said i know i could be a very good nba player and i can help any team improve it just It's just a question of when and where I'll do that. So, this is in January. Something to keep in mind is that it's January. The trade was made in November. So, this is, you know, a couple months have gone by. Danny Ferry has not talked to the Cavaliers, has not uh, negotiated any kind of contract to play the next season. Uh 21 games into the season. Uh, it's February 1990, and the Cavalier, not the Cavaliers, they're on my mind. Uh, Danny Ferry is averaging 22.7 points per game. Um, he's averaging 6.3 rebounds per game, and he's shooting 49% from the field, 73% from the free throw line. Brian Shaw is averaging 25.3 points per game, 8.6 rebounds per game, 52% from the field is what he's shooting, and 84% from the free throw line. So once again, if you look at Brian Shaw, he's averaging um, about 2.5 more points more than Danny Ferry, and he's averaging about uh, 2.5 more rebounds than Danny Ferry. And keep this in mind, Brian Shaw is about four. To five inches shorter than Danny Ferry. And he's out-rebounding Danny Ferry. So, um, once again, it's crazy how Brian Shaw was becoming the scapegoat when the team would lose. But he had better numbers. He also is African-American. So, I think some of that has something to do with it. Maybe you disagree. Sure, right. Um... March 4th, it's reported uh, that Brian Shaw, since Brian Shaw, what he did at the end of February, Brian Shaw signed his contract to play the next season with the Boston Celtics. So he's going back to Boston. So since he decided to do that and he made it public, um, everyone's got expectations now of what Danny Ferry is going to do. And so remember I said that the newspaper there's a newspaper that owned the team that Danny Ferry is playing on. And there are other newspapers who are reporting on the Ferry situation. And they're looking for anything to discredit that basketball team since it's owned by their rival newspaper. Um, And so as soon as Brian Shaw signs, um, everyone goes to Danny Ferry and is like, yeah, he's going to sign with the Cavs. He's out of here. He's not having a good season anyway. And once again, he was having a good individual season, but the team was struggling and was, um, you know, they were just around 500 for most of the season. And so the other papers start putting out rumors and saying Danny Ferry is out, Danny Ferry is out. But Danny Ferry just constantly say, hey, I'm waiting till the end of the season to handle my contract with Cleveland if I have one at all. Um, So... At this time, you know, the team is 13-13. And in March, um, Joe Menzer, another Ohio-based news reporter, he travels to Rome. And he says, all you have to do is watch Danny for a few minutes. And you can see he's a great passer. But the guys he throws the ball to really don't know what to do with it. And half the time, it either bounces off their hands or their chests." He said, Danny is smart enough to know that you can only play this kind of basketball for so long before his skills will erode. That's why I can't believe he's he'd stay for another season. Menzer um, predicts that Danny Ferry will average somewhere between 16 to 20 points per game in the NBA and have about a 10-year career. And he said that... Um, he probably won't be a perennial All-Star, but he should make a, a couple All-Star games. He said he wouldn't be surprised if that happens. More page turning. All right, so um while that's going on, when the word gets out around that Brian Shaw signed with the Celtics, the media, the other newspapers accuse him of dumping games whenever the team loses. They say, oh, Brian Shaw's just ready to go back to Boston. He's not playing with passion. He doesn't care. Meanwhile, he's averaging over 25 points per game. It's crazy. Um, one thing that people don't know is that Danny Ferry actually requested that the Cavs did not visit him during his his uh, stay in Rome. Um, he did not want the team to get nervous about his um, commitment to play out the first season there of the contract. So, Ferry had like a five-year deal that was, I believe, worth around $10 million. He was getting $2 million the first season. um, And basically, he only, he had to play the first year. And then after that, he could decide if he wanted to go to, uh, to the U.S. and play, or stay in Rome. But the first year, once he signed that contract, he was there was no out clause for the first season. Um. Now, with Il Massagero getting uh, word that Brian Shaw is out next season, and also being concerned about Ferry's status. They decide to offer big money to a guard by the name of Bo Kimball, who was a college star at Loyola Marymount. Now, this is, once again, 1990, for those of you who are very, very young and don't remember and don't know, um, Loyola Marymount was becoming a basketball powerhouse, and Bo Kimball was one of the top players, top scorers in the country. Um, he was just an amazing type of scorer. Their system, they just scored, 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 scored. I'm telling you, like, <laughs> the scores of their games, they would have like 130 points. Um, Bo Kimball actually averaged as a senior during the 1989-90 season, he averaged 35 points per game. In uh 32 games, he shot 52% from the field and uh forty-six percent from three-point territory. It was just unreal how um just him and there was another player by the name of Hank Gathers who actually passed away tragically. They both just put points up like it was nothing, and they ran and they shot the ball quickly. Uh, their goal was to get more shots up than you could. <laughs> and that's how they would win their games. Um, Bo Kimball was a, an All American in 1989, 90, the 1989 90 season. He was the WCC Player of the Year, West Coast Conference Player of the Year. And uh, he was also NCAA All Region selection. So, yeah, he was a big time uh, prospect with all that scoring. Six foot four guard well um also during that time period since you know the team was worried they were le- losing their two young stars they also uh made an alleged offer to or allegedly made an offer that would be the proper way to say this because it's kind of sketchy not sure if this was if this was just a rumor or not but it got out in the press that they offered Moses Malone somewhere between fifteen to twenty million dollars uh to come over and play uh for play for Rome. So Moses Malone during the eighty nine ninety season, he was up there in, in age of I believe See, the key with Moses Malone is that he started his career in the 70s, 1974, 75 season, but he was 19 years old. He was right out of high school. So in uh, 1990, he was only 34, 35 years old. So, I mean, that's considered old during that time to play in the NBA. Um, but there, there were players... Like we mentioned, Bob McAdoo earlier, who was 39 years old, having a great season. And another thing about playing in Italy, too, was that they didn't have the busy schedule that the NBA had. Uh, They played one day a week during the regular season, and it was 30 games. So you had 30 weeks and you played one day a week. So if you're an older player, you got time to recover. And it's not as demanding and grueling as it would be playing in the NBA. Um, so yo, that would have been being able to land a player like Moses Malone would have been a big deal for Italy because he was, um, I think he was a multiple time MVP, um, definitely a hall of famer, um, and just a, a top level, um, post player, which the team didn't have. Another thing to remember about the Italian league is that each team could only have two american players. And uh Il Messaggero was willing to pay like top dollar to get guys over. So we are going to take a quick commercial break and then we will come back and we will uh wrap up um the first season Danny Ferry had in Rome. So after um, the regular season was over in um, April, the playoffs uh, began. And the first playoff game that Il Meseguero had with Danny Ferry and Brian Shaw, uh, Il Meseguero won 98-72. to And Brian Shaw, he actually had a dislocated shoulder that he was playing on. He scored 20 points in the first half and he finished the game with 23 points. Uh, Danny Ferry had 22 points. And the win was over a team called Routini Reggio Emelin. Please forgive me for not knowing any type of Italian. (laughs) Um, So the team that they defeated, however... Um, or played that series I should say um, had a player by the name of Joe Bryant who is the father of Kobe Bryant and Joe Bryant was guarded by Danny Ferry that day and Danny Ferry limited him to 3 points I feel it's important to note that Joe Bryant at the time was 35 years old and once again goes along with the theme of that NBA players were being offered money to go to Italy. Usually it was guys who were at the end of their career. Brian Shaw and Denny Ferry were special because they chose to go at the beginning of their career. And they chose to go as first round draft picks. Not guys that's struggling to make the team or free agents. They were guys that were brought in to contribute to the teams that drafted them or uh, to the teams that acquired their rights. And so it was a different situation than a Joe Bryant who had already played in the NBA, uh, who probably wasn't going to get another opportunity to play in the NBA. In fact, Joe Bryant's last NBA game was in 83 when he was 28 years old. So he was seven years removed out of the league. Um, So, yeah, you had guys over there. Uh, I believe like during the season, Mike Mitchell, who was another player who was towards the end of his career, He was an NBA player once upon a time, was leading the league in scoring. His team, I think they had lost like, they lost many games. They were like, oh, and whatever. And he was averaging like 30-something a game. They said he had a game where he shot 33s in one game and took 40 shots. 30 of them were Uh, (laughs) three-pointers. He must have just had just a a bad cast of guys and just said, I am not passing any of you guys the ball ever. Um, So, yeah, so. Going back to the story, um, Ferry and Shaw helped lead their team to a first-round win. Um, they won the, the the series was best two out of three, and so they closed the series and won ninety-five to eighty-six in that game. This is uh, April twenty-ninth, nineteen ninety. In that game, Danny Ferry had eighteen points. Brian Shaw had fifteen. On uh, May 9th, nineteen ninety. Uh, the playoff run ended in the quarterfinals. Um, Brian Shaw had 46 points um, and a 111-103 loss to Scavolini uh, Passero, which, em- which eliminated their team. Uh, Danny Ferry finished the game with 16 points, and he fouled out with five minutes to play. Uh, another tidbit from that season, You can call this a conspiracy theory, but Danny Ferry wasn't really having an issue with fouls and being fouled and and fouling out of games uh, until later in the year. Um, Maybe because word was out that, you know, they probably were leaving. He wasn't being treated as much like a star in the games anymore because they may have knew, known he was out of the door because he just all of a sudden went from never really coming close to filing out to filing out a little frequently towards the end of the year. Um, so after they lost their playoff game, you know, it was reported, okay, the guys are done. It's time to negotiate uh, for fairy for real. Um, Ferry's quote, after his final game in Rome uh, for the seasons, was, I was a little bit inconsistent, but the year was very good for me um, in terms of experience. I had, I, had, I had to make a lot of adjustments in my life and in my game. I think that was good for me. Hopefully, it will help me become a little more mature. And on uh, June 1st, 1990, um, it's announced that Ferry is officially a Cleveland Cavalier. They have a big press conference, and we'll get into that on our next episode. Um, But this is June 1st. And check this out. We can't leave Il Masagero behind because what ends up happening July 11th, a report gets out that the team would like to get John Hot Rod Williams and Derek Coleman both signed, if possible, and they were ready to offer them big money as well. Um, now, John Hot Rod Williams was a Cleveland Cavalier at the time, but he was a free agent. And his contract was up in the Cavs and he could not come to an agreement during the season uh, to kind of re-up the deal. So Hot Rod went on the market as a free agent that summer in 1990. And uh, Derek Coleman was the, you know, top college player coming into the NBA in 1990. And he was the number one pick of the New Jersey Nets. And M.S. Garrett was like, hey, we'll take you and we'll take Hot Rod. <laughs> um, They got neither. Both players ended up getting big-time contracts. And I believe that the threat of going to Italy helped. Yes, times were changing and money was getting bigger. Revenue was getting bigger in the NBA. But the fact that players had somewhere else to go, they could use that as a, a bargaining tool where before they couldn't. And even if the team didn't think they would go, they didn't want to take the chance of them going and then losing out on a great player and, you know, setting their franchises back years. Um, Howard Williams would become the highest paid player in the league briefly. <laughs> and uh, Derek Coleman got a, a handsome deal from the New Jersey Nets. Um, what Il Massagero did get actually which at the time, I don't know if people knew was going to be a big deal, but they ended up getting a future Hall of Famer and a future Boston Celtic in 23-year-old Dino Raja. Um, he signed to play for El Il- for Masagero, uh, becoming the team's star the next season after uh, Ferry and Sean were gone. Um, Dino Raja was a power forward from Croatia. He... Uh, Played alongside Tony Kukoc, Drazen Petrovic, those type of guys who you definitely may have heard of. He was recently inducted into the Hall of Fame maybe about two years ago. Um, More so for his international play, but he did play a few seasons with the Celtics, maybe about three. He ended up, I think, having some injury issues. But while he was with the Celtics, he definitely was a fine player. Um, You know, he wasn't. So many European players uh, before him, or the, not so many, the ones who came before Dino Raja that were front court players, many of them didn't, did, their games didn't translate well in the NBA at the time because the NBA was more physical. Uh, Detlef Schrimpf was, he was a German guy who uh, was like the lone successful front court player. Um, uh, another player, um, Rick Smits, also as well. From uh, Holland was another guy, but typically most European front court players struggled, and most European guards were struggling at the time too. Once again, the game just there—the game was developing in Europe as opposed to in uh, the United States, where it was already on a top level. Um, Dino Raja was physical, strong, had a strong body, had excellent. Uh, offensive skills and touch by the basket and and, um, the ability to score, you know, 15, 12 feet away as well. Um, He could play strong and he could play with finesse as well. So he had a little bit of it all. Um, So, yeah, he had a a strong career, a very accomplished career as as a basketball player all around the world, including the NBA. Il Masagero also got a uh, couple NBA stars the next couple of seasons. Let's not call them stars, but accomplished NBA players who played on big franchises. Uh, Michael Cooper, uh, an L.A. Laker who had won championships with the Lakers, signed on to play in 1991. And from 91 to 1993, Rick Mahorn, the former Detroit Piston who won a title with them in uh, the 80. 889 season I believe um, he also went over to play and um, those guys were at the end of their careers when they went they you know made some money real quick and you know I'm sure their veteran leadership and you know toughness was appreciated as well so El Masagero um, still around still still doing their thing as a franchise Um, have had so many players come through their doors. Um, another player who you may remember recently, or not recently, but within the last maybe decade or so, that played for them, Brandon Jennings, who was um, an up-and-coming star for the Milwaukee Bucks once upon a time. He also played there as well. So, yeah, El Masaguro, still they still got cash and they still got money to bring people over <laughs> to play basketball. But Danny Ferry and Brian Shaw um, were definitely interesting in their the risk that they took um, to go over and play, to make the money, to um, actually be able to use that as a negotiation tool. Um, because, you know, while Danny Ferry, he, he says all the right things. And you can believe that he did not ever say, there's nowhere where it's quoted that Danny Ferry said, I don't want to play for the Clippers when the Clippers drafted him. But there's something to be said that the Clippers probably didn't want him because they kind of said as much in some reports. So with him knowing, okay, the Clippers don't want me. I don't know where they're going to trade me. And Italy is going to give me All of this stuff that I mentioned in the story, the maids, the cars, the mansion, the um, money, more money than he'd make his rookie year in the NBA. They're going to give me all this. I will take it. And what ended up happening is that the Clippers traded uh, Ferry's rights to a team that was desperate to have him come back to the States. Uh, they didn't trade him to a team that was totally loaded and say, hey, yo, take your time. You come when you come. Um, there were, like, situations where, um, like, Dino Raja. The Celtics drafted Dino Raja years before he came to the NBA. And at the time they drafted him, they didn't necessarily really need him. Um, so they could afford to wait for him. They had other stars and uh, other people... Um, and they didn't make a drastic uh, move for him. They drafted Dino Roger in the second round of the 89 draft, right? So that's the same draft Danny Ferry was in. At the time, Mikel's still on the team. Larry Bird's still on the team. And they didn't trade anybody and say, you know what, we, we got to wait. They didn't do what the Cavs did. Um Another player, um, Arvidas Sabonis, he was drafted by the uh, Trail Trailblazers, was it? Um, and they had to wait forever to get him. I'm looking that up right now as I talk. Um, please forgive me. Actually, let's, let's go back. Yeah, um, He was drafted in the 85 draft by the Hawks and then also drafted in the 86 draft in the first round by the Trailblazers. And they didn't get him until the 1995 season. So that's like nine years you're waiting for a player. Once again, they didn't trade anybody to get him. They didn't lose anybody to get him. So while, yeah, they would have loved to have had him at the time, he was one of the top three centers in the world um, at the time. But, They didn't lose anything. The Cavs were in a a unique situation because they traded a dynamic shooting guard and their top scorer, arguably, um, depending on the day. But he definitely had the ability to be 25-point-per-game kind of guy. They traded him for a guy who was overseas who wasn't coming and may not be coming at all. And Danny Ferry, uh, rather, you know, yes, you know, he's a, he seems like a good guy, an honest guy. But despite all that, he understands how to negotiate because his father is a GM, like we mentioned at the beginning of the episode. And so he knows what's happening. So he's like, hey, I can get more money than I'm getting over here from the Cavs because, yes, they traded Ron Harper for me. And they need me to come there or they look really dumb. So in all that, Danny Ferry gets a big ten year deal worth over thirty million dollars, and so, on our next episode, we'll talk about that and um the importance or the yeah, we'll talk about the time that Danny ferry uh spent in Cleveland. We'll talk about his rookie season and what happened, and how. He was able to or not able to, either we'll see what happens. But how he um, lived up to the hype and certain things that happened um, during his rookie year. Um, this is just a fun topic for me. Um, I know I'm just rambling a lot during this, but this is a fun topic for me because you get to kind of see behind the scenes what was going on or as much behind the scenes as possible. (laughs) Uh, You know, during the time of this trade and and this situation that was going on with Danny Ferry and Ron Harper, once again, I was 10 years old. And, um, you know, I read the sports section as a kid, but, you know, you don't read all the stories and you don't get all the details when you're 10 years old. You're playing, you're having a good time. So, you know, I just remember... The disappointment, once again, of Ron Harper being traded. But there was this wonder of what's going to happen. Will Danny Ferry come, live up to what people think he's going to be? Will he be the next Larry Bird? Will he make us forget about Ron Harper? Um, What will happen? And the crazy thing is that there was hope from a certain group of people in Cleveland. And there was another group of people in Cleveland that kind of felt like, oh, here's another great white hope. An overrated white guy coming in to save the day. And he probably won't save the day. And, you know, you hate to go back to race, but it did play a role in what people thought and how people judged the trade and um, why the trade was made. Probably. Um that's that's just is just there. Um the reality of it all can be false, but the perception was there and I was unfortunate. Um so yeah, with with all that being said, very interesting time. Danny Ferry is one of my favorite players in Cavs history. Um just on how he Uh, fought through all the things that he had to go through as a pro. It was very interesting and very inspiring, in my opinion. So we're going to wrap this episode up, but we'll be back to talk about Danny Ferry in the NBA, Um, especially his first season and what went down. Um, Not sure how many more parts we're going to have to this. Um, We may... Just talk about his first season on the next episode, or we may talk about his entire NBA career with the Cavs. Not sure yet, but we will definitely pick this up from this point right now. So, yeah, Danny Ferry's done in Italy, and he's arrived in Cleveland. That's where we'll be at the start of the next episode. Thank you for listening to my basketball cards. Before we finish, we always talk about um, the value and which card inspired this show. The card that inspired this show actually was Fleer. 1990 Fleer Rookie card, Danny Ferry. Um, it's number 33 in the lot of cards. Um, that card is said to be worth 99 cents. And uh, it's a very interesting card because I remember when I got it, you, you see Danny Ferry in a white and blue uniform. I didn't realize it was a Duke uniform, but the letters, the, the the word Duke was airbrushed off of the card. So when I saw the car as a youngster, I remember just thinking like, oh, maybe that's his uh, Italian uniform. And they don't have any words on the front of them. <laughs> that's what I thought. Maybe the words were not on the front of the Italian uniforms. They just had numbers. But it actually is a picture of him from Duke and his uh uniform is airbrushed if i'm not correct you can definitely correct me but yeah it definitely looks like it um cool card that uh i don't know if a lot of collectors have it because danny ferry uh you know i, I haven't gone to a lot of card shows and seen a lot of danny ferry cards so we don't we'll see But, yeah, the card is worth $0.99, and that brings our total of all the cards that we've reviewed up to $5.01. Yeah, boy. Pay window. All right. So, yo, that's the show. Thank you for listening to my basketball cards. And uh, remember, give us a follow at Rebel Life Media on Twitter and share your thoughts and opinions on the show. Thank you, and have a great one.